Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. Today, we look at the tug of war over the future of Ukraine. Both Russia and the European Union are keen on building a closer relationship with the country, and it looks as if the moment of choice for the Ukrainians is fast approaching. To explain why, and to look at how things are likely to develop, I'm joined here in the studio by Neil Buckley, our Eastern Europe editor, and on the line from Brussels by our bureau chief there, Peter Spiegel. Neil, if I can turn to you first... Why is it that things are now coming to a head? What's happening? Well, there's a very important summit next week in Vilnius in Lithuania, where Ukraine, along with a couple of other East European countries, have the opportunity to sign a major free trade deal and political association agreement with the European Union, part of what's called the European Union's Eastern Partnership Programme, which is designed to export EU values on democracy and markets and so on into the countries beyond its eastern borders. But at the same time, Russia has been putting huge pressure on Ukraine in recent weeks not to sign this deal and instead join an organisation that Russia is setting up, which it's going to call the Eurasian Economic Union, supposed to start up in 2015, building on the foundations of a customs union Russia has already created with former Soviet Belarus and Kazakhstan. So there is a real tug of war and it's not very clear right now which way Ukraine is going to go. So, Peter, that's a slightly unusual situation for the people in Brussels who presumably would have thought that a week away from this invitation being issued to the Ukrainians at a special summit that they would kind of know whether it would be accepted. What's the current feeling there in Brussels? Well, you know, someone described it to me as a scene in in a Woody Allen movie where the the tennis ball is hit on the net and the ball is literally sitting there on the top of the net and they don't know which way it's going to fall. And so, you know, they are trying to read the tea leaves as much as we are in the media and they frankly don't have any more insight than we do sitting on the outside. The problem is, is as usual within the EU, there are many voices pushing and pulling in different ways. Many of the newer member states, particularly in Central and Eastern Europe, are pushing very, very hard to sign this, even though Ukraine in many respects, is moving in the wrong direction on democracy and human rights. The symbol has been Yulia Tymoshenko, the former prime minister who was jailed by the current president. There's a lot of people who are pushing for that to be a precondition to signing this deal. But the Central East Europeans have said, look, you are going to lose Ukraine to the Russian sphere unless you sign this deal, and we don't believe that we should be putting more conditions on the Ukrainians. In the West, the more traditional, older members of the EU, Germany in particular, have been pushing very hard that said, look, we can't just give in to the Ukrainians out of fear that the big bear is going to pull it back into its sphere. So we have a lot of conflicting views in Europe on this. And let me just remind you that there are actually were three other countries that were supposed to sign or at least initial similar deals, Georgia, Moldova, and Armenia. And already in the last couple of months, they've lost Armenia. Armenia has agreed to go to the Russian side. So they're now down to three. Huge pressures on Moldova in particular, cutting off all sorts of imports into Russia, which they rely on quite a bit. And in pressure on the Georgians as well, where we've seen, and Neil's written extensively on this, you've seen borderization. They're putting up new barbed wire and fences in South Ossetia, which is supposed to be part of sovereign Georgia. So the Russians are playing hardball here, and there's a lot of varying voices here in Brussels about whether to fight with the Russians over Ukraine or let them go their own way. So the way you describe it, Peter, it sounds like the real arguments are being had more on the European side than on the Ukrainian side. Or is that wrong? Are the Ukrainians also still working out where they stand? 
Well, you know, it's always dust with the European Union, particularly as it approaches the former Soviet republics, and even Russia itself. I mean, from things like even energy, you know, where Germany has built a pipeline bypassing Central and Eastern Europe, get its own gas directly from Russia and from Gazprom. Their interests are divergent here within the EU, and so they're having a very hard time speaking with one voice on this. That said... Everyone, for geopolitical reasons, seems to be coming around to the realization that they have to sign this deal, but they need some sort of cover. They need Tymoshenko to either be released or moved to Germany for health treatment, some sort of fig leaf they can use to say, okay, we've seen Yanukovych moving in the right direction, because I think without that, even though we're in, in final days here, it's going to be very, very difficult for those advocating for a, a deal here in Brussels to get the deal signed in Vilnius. Neil, how do you think the Ukrainians are going to play it? Do you think the government there will make this last-minute concession on Tymoshenko? And more broadly, what's their view of this? Are they as desperate to sign the deal with Europe as the Europeans seem to be desperate to get them in the camp? I would perhaps put it the other way around. I think it's very much up to Ukraine rather than up to the EU whether this deal is signed or not. I think ultimately if Ukraine delivers on what Peter was saying, some kind of face-saving solution on Yulia Tymoshenko, then I'm, I'm sure the EU would sign it. The question is whether Viktor Yanukovych, the Ukrainian president, is prepared to do this. The indications have been very contradictory. A few weeks ago, it looked like he would. More recently, it started to look like he's not prepared to do this. A lot, I think, comes down to calculations in his own mind about what is the best way for him to win re-election in 2015 when Ukrainians go to the polls again in presidential elections. He has to decide whether to free Yulia Tymoshenko, do a deal with the EU, hope that's popular among Ukrainians, or not do the deal, keep Yulia Tymoshenko in jail and not have to compete against her in the election in 2015. And meanwhile, the other big players, the Russians, how are they playing this? Are they using their usual rather menacing diplomacy or are they trying to be nice to the Ukrainians? And what chance have they got of their strategy working? Because as Peter was saying, it has worked with other countries. What we've seen from the Russians, visibly anyway, has been more stick than carrot. They have banned a whole range of Ukrainian goods exports to Russia in recent months. They've toughened customs controls on the border in what they say is an example of what will happen if Ukraine joins this EU free trade deal, which would have a big impact on the Ukrainian economy. In the background, meetings have been going on between Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, and Mr Yanukovych, and we suspect that there may have been some offers made, perhaps of reduced gas prices from Russia and other forms of financial help as an inducement for Ukraine to go the other way. But we've had no confirmation of what has taken place in those closed-door meetings between Putin and Yanukovych. And Peter, give us a sense of the broader geopolitical context. To put it bluntly, if you're sitting listening to this by some chance in New York or in Beijing, why should you care whether Ukraine joins this deal with the EU or sticks with the Russian sphere of influence? Is it important for the rest of the world? Why does Ukraine matter? It is. I mean, because frankly, this goes back to sort of old-fashioned Cold War geopolitics. Remember, it was not too long ago that we were talking about Ukraine joining NATO. And there was a big push by the Bush administration to bring both Georgia and the Ukraine into NATO. Well, that stalled, and that was particularly on, on the Ukrainian side, ended with Yanukovych's election, because Yanukovych is seen, I think rightfully so, as much more pro-Russian than his Orange Revolution predecessors. So if we basically have lost, to, to talk in, in old Cold War terms, lost Ukraine from NATO, this is the last chance to anchor Ukraine 
in the West into the EU and things that the West cares about, particularly the U.S. in its idealized foreign policy, things like democracy and human rights. I mean, this is the, sort of the last great chance to make to anchor Ukraine into the West and force it through these agreements to implement the kind of legislation that most EU countries have to implement. It, I mean, it's interesting. Again, as Neil pointed out, this is not just a free trade agreement. This is also what they call an association agreement that would require Ukraine to basically implement almost all, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of the laws that EU members have to implement. So it's, this is about rule of law, and it's about human rights, and it's about uh, democratic processes. And so that's the kind of thing that the West in general, more specifically, you know, the NATO allies have been pushing for Central and Eastern Europe for now 20, 25 years. So the question is, is that push East ending? And does it end at the Ukrainian border, or does it include many of these other countries of the former Soviet Union? And does that continue to spread up to the Russian border? And I think that's a pretty fundamental geopolitical issue that affects anyone, whether you're sitting in New York or anywhere in the West at this point. And Neil, what's at stake if you're sitting in Moscow, uh, if you're an advisor to Vladimir Putin, what are the issues and the kind of driving motives for them? Two big things at stake. One is a kind of historical, cultural, civilizational issue Russians tend to see Ukraine as being part of the same country, Ukrainians being the same people. Kiev and Rus was the cradle of what is now the Russian civilization. So the idea of, as it were, losing Ukraine to Western Europe is a very emotive one for Russians. But more important than that, or more immediately important than that, is if Ukraine can embrace a more democratic model, uh, more of a European, West European type model politically and economically, and finally make a success of that, then that poses a threat to the Russian system, which is more authoritarian, which Vladimir Putin has presented as being more suited to Russia and Ukraine and the, the Slavic mentality and history and, and, and culture, traditions and current state of development. If Ukraine can do something different, then the danger for the Kremlin is that Russians look at Ukraine and say, well, if they can do that, why can't we? OK, so those are the issues. And it's, as I said earlier, it's all possibly coming to a head next week. So can I finish by possibly unfairly putting you both on the spot and asking you, how do you think it's going to play out and which way Ukraine will go? Peter first. I'm still betting on a deal. It is going to come down to the last minute. EU foreign ministers were meeting here in Brussels this week and couldn't come to a conclusion on this. They're actually going to meet separately on the sidelines of the Vilnius summit to try to agree this. But look, one of the things that everyone says about Yanukovych is he is portrayed as a stereotypically pro-Russian, almost Soviet-style leader. But his first foreign trip was to Brussels, just days after he won the election. And all the Ukrainian diplomats here keep insisting that they see their future competing, exporting with Europe, and not as part of some old Soviet-style customs union. So I think the incentives in Ukraine are towards Europe. And I think just the Ukrainians are holding out for the best deal they can get. So if I were a betting man, I would bet on a deal being signed in Vilnius, but I'm not putting a lot of money on it at this point. Neil? If I were a betting man, I'm afraid I think I would bet the other way. I suspect that uh, Mr Yanukovych is not going to be prepared to go far enough on the Timoshenko issue to satisfy the EU. You're already seeing noises coming out of Kiev and some advisers to Yanukovych saying, well, perhaps it doesn't matter that much if we don't do it this time, we can do it next year. So they're already exploring the possibility of putting this off. And I do think that there's been Russian pressure in the background and they may well end up doing something with Russia instead. But we will see. 
We will see indeed. Thank you to Neil Buckley here in London. Thanks to Peter Spiegel in Brussels. This particular drama will play out next week and there'll be another podcast next week as well. Until then, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.